Hey, welcome to Docs and Jocks, your sports medicine radio show. My name is Dr. Dan. We're coming from inside our Docs and Jocks radio studio here. We're located in the great sunny Abilene, Texas. Hey, great to have you with us today. If you're just joining our show for the very first time and want to find out more about our sports medicine radio show, you can do so by going to docsandjocks.com, D-O-X-N-J-O-X.com. You can also uh, listen to us on iTunes anytime, anywhere by listening to our podcast, Docs and Jocks, D-O-X-N-J-O-X. Subscribe to that. We'd love to have you part of our growing audience in the uh, podcast world on iTunes. My name is Dr. Dan. I've been a longtime sports medicine physician with Texas Sport and Spine. Been doing the sports medicine gig for about the last 25 years where I've taken care of professional college, high school, uh, weekend warrior athletes of all ages and shapes and forms. And, man, I love doing what I do with my day job. And I really love doing what I do here on Docs and Jocks, which is talk about a lot of those injuries that might also affect you, whether it's a knee, a hip, a shoulder injury that happened to one of your favorite players. It also happens to you weekend warriors like it does it to me. And we can talk about those injuries and how long it takes to get back from those injuries, what they might mean and what it might mean to your favorite team as far as how long your player is going to be out. I am joined each week by my co-host, a longtime sports broadcaster for Grand Canyon University, Ferris Potter. Ferris is the voice of Grand Canyon University, also longtime actor and uh, man, just Hollywood stud uh, actors. Tell us about that career, Ferris. Remember all those years? He's been on Days of Our Lives, been on, uh, man, been Unsolved Mysteries, you name it. He's also done that as a career as well. Great to have you today, Ferris. Yeah, I was. I was big time. Was is the key word. And it, big it happened like time. That 15 minutes of fame, it was more like 13 and a half minutes. He was, was Dick it. Clark's right-hand man for Rockin' New Year's Eve one year. Remember watching that special? There you go. How about that? Yeah. That's good yeah, on the Dick resume. Gary Clark. We were, we were tight for about 14 minutes. Out in Arizona, he's done a bunch of uh, commercials. The best one was with your uh, hockey player. Who was the hockey player you did the commercial with out in Arizona? Keith Kachuk. Kachuk. Yeah, that's right. That was awesome. into a golf cart. It was quite fun. Hey, speaking of uh, other celebrities, we're going to have on coming on the longest-running sports radio show, uh, Rockin' Minooch. We're going to have on Dan Minucci of that show. He's a former Buffalo Bills quarterback, also has been in the CFL, the USFL. We're going to have on uh, Minooch coming on to talk about his days of playing. And he also, uh, other than uh, doing uh, sports radio now he also trains quarterbacks so we're gonna have him coming on talking about that we're also going to have on the lovely neurosurgeon dr leslie hutchins is going to be on our show she is a neurosurgeon here in the uh, texas area and we'll be talking to her about some of the bad injuries that happened this last week in in the nfl one of them was ryan shazier the linebacker uh that uh, for the pittsburgh steelers they got really a bad thoracic uh, spine injury we'll be talking about that and how she takes care of those injuries and what that surgery might mean for him and We'll be all that and more here on Docs and Jocks, your sports medicine radio show. Remember, you can follow us on iTunes by subscribing to Docs and Jocks. You can also listen to us and find out more about us on our radio show uh, internet site, docsandjocks.com, D-O-X-N-J-O-X.com. Hey, we'll be right back. You're listening to Guy Talk, live from the Sport Clips Haircuts locker room. Caller, you're on the air. My girlfriend beat me playing one-on-one. Ooh, sounds like you need to hit up a sport clip for an awesome haircut experience and some quality man time. I don't know. My girlfriend always takes me to her salon. Nonsense. Be your own man and get a great haircut in a guy-friendly place from stylists who know what guys need. You may be right. Sure I'm right. Now grab your Y chromosome, get down to sport clips, and ask for the MVP. Sport clips. It's good to be a guy. No one burns calories like Firehouse Subs. Introducing our hearty and flavorful under 500 calorie menu. Steaming hot sriracha beef, hook and ladder light, turkey cranberry, and more. Six new subs, four new salads, overflowing with flavor under 500 calories. And starting at only $5.49. Under 500 calories never tasted so hearty and flavorful. Firehouse Subs. One bite, one taste, you're hooked. 
Hey, welcome back to Docs and Jocks, your sports medicine radio show. My name is Dr. Dan, longtime sports medicine physician with Texas Sports Spine, coming to you from inside the Forge Sports Training Facility. That's where our radio show is located. Right now, as we're speaking, Ferris, I'm looking out onto a group of about 30 exercise-minded young adults who are doing their thing. I'm telling you, they're all sizes and shapes and <clears throat> athletic ability, and uh, their sports fitness is different ranges from just starting day one to guys who've been doing it for six, seven years. I'm telling you. As long as you will exercise somewhere, I, I tell you what, if you'll strengthen and do exercises on a routine basis some, somewhere, I don't care where it is, you got to do it. Ferris and I have talked numerous times, I'm sure I'll talk about it on the radio show again today, as I am right now, about the weakness epidemic. And it is, I see patients all day long, Ferris, I saw this morning, I see patients before I do the radio show uh, here in the afternoons, and this morning when I see, I was talking to patients, several of them, and Hawk can back me up, my, our producer Hawk helps me out on the medical side as well. And uh, the biggest problem is people are just too weak to do the simple activities of life. They develop back pain. They develop hip pain. They develop knee pain, joint, and, uh, you know, foot and ankle pain. It, it, when you are unstable in your core, it's like having an unsteady foundation to your house. You cannot build on an unsteady foundation and things start falling apart. If in your house you had an unsteady foundation, you know, your foundation wasn't firm and you started complaining about how the doors didn't shut and you replaced all the doors, guess what? They're still not going to shut until you fix the foundation. So, hey, get, get exercises somewhere. Find the place that's right for you. It might be at the Forge Abilene, and we'd love, love to have you part of that as well. You can go to theforgeabilene.com and check it out, but find some place that you will exercise. So, anyway, there's my little soapbox. Got it out, got it out early today, Fair. Something where it comes like out in our it. show. Right off the bat. Right off right the off bat. The <laughs> it's boom. like, boom, just hit you right in the face with that. So Get it done, baby. Get we're, it done. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Hey, we're very excited about our next segment. Stay tuned here with us. We're going to have on Dan Minucci of Rock and Minouche there in Phoenix, and our show is aired there in Phoenix, Arizona. So Minucci is going to be talking about his career, which he probably doesn't do a whole lot on his radio show, but uh, we'll be doing that with him, talking about his days when he was a quarterback with the Buffalo Bills and I think it was the Argonauts and uh, the USFL, and so we'll be talking about that and more coming up in our next segment. Fair's big week in football as far as sports medicine stories. Both, uh, you know, it's, it's fortunate for our radio show, but unfortunate for those individuals that are involved in some of these catastrophic hits that we saw. One of the biggest ones, and the one that made me the most nervous, I always say that when you're a sports medicine physician, if you see guys moving around and you see them kind of trying to get up and you see them, you know, writhing in pain, it's almost in a weird way a good thing. When you see guys go down and they, you see their legs aren't moving and they're staying pretty still, always pretty scary. And uh, we had a couple of uh, cardiovascular injuries. That's one I was talking about, Hawk, that I, was, I forgot the cardiovascular injury where the trainer went out and saved the basketball player in the NCAA. We need to pull that story up. And uh, those types of injuries, guys go down and they're not moving, those are the scary ones. And we saw that with the Pittsburgh Steelers, Ryan Shazier, he's their linebacker. He went in to make a tackle, pretty much led with his head. It's hard not to sometimes because you don't know where the running back's moving in space. That's one of the weird things about people saying, oh, he shouldn't have done this, he shouldn't have done that. Try not Try always being in the right place when another adult human being who runs it, by the way, a four three forty is trying to shake and shimmy you and not and always have your head in the right place. Well, Ryan Shazier did not, and he went down, and when he went down, he wasn't moving, and his, he first kind of grabbed the mid portion of his back. We call that your thoracic spine, and then his legs uh, weren't moving, and that's always scary, and then he laid still as the, as the athletic training staff, sports medicine Team doctors got out there and did what they always do, which is don't move them. You don't want to make a spinal cord injury worse. And uh, he was taken off the field in a stretcher. He was reported to have had a fracture dislocation. They're not reporting a lot of details other than I've heard uh, it reported that he's now moving his legs. And you and I, Ferris, were talking before the show, and you're saying, you know, what's his prognosis? Well, the one good 
good prognosticating factor that he has that has been reported is that after his surgery to repair the fracture dislocation is that he's moving his legs, which means at least his spinal cord is, is working somewhat. There's incomplete spinal cord injuries where you can still move your legs, but they don't move fully or portions of your spinal cord don't work. But he is uh, reported to be having his legs moving. So that's we're going to take the good news that we have and uh, be glad about that. But, wow, was there ever, just like during that game, was there ever the reporters, uh, the sports broadcasters, John Gruden, everybody was going off about how terrible of a game it was and how violent the football game has gotten. But that's football, right, Ferris? I mean, I don't know where you go. Ryan Shazier didn't look like he really did anything super wrong other than the crown of his helmet did hit the running back. But guess what? There was another guy tackling and pushing him his way, and his head got in the wrong spot. And Gosh, man, I, I don't know how you outlaw that. No, I mean, you can't outlaw anything, right? I mean, he right. was just making a tackle. I mean, even some of the hits they talked about that were so violent, I mean, 10 years ago, they were just highlight hits. Part you know, of nobody game, talked yeah. anything about him, and, and nobody complained about him. And yeah. I mean, I know they're trying to make the game safer, but the, the bottom line is they're bigger, faster, stronger than they've ever been. And like you said, you can aim for a guy right in the chest with your head up, and next thing you know, the guy's diving, and now you're hitting him in the head, or now you know you're getting pushed from another guy tackling, and your head goes down. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's just not safe when guys weighing 200 plus pounds with that much force are colliding. It's just never going to be safe. We saw when we were kids. We remember you probably you and I both remember Daryl Stingley. He was probably the first football player oh, yeah. that I remember having a catastrophic injury on the field. I'm sure there were many other before that, but this one just happened to affect me. I think he played for – who Stingley played for? Ferris, the Patriots? Patriots, I believe, yeah. yeah. And he got and hit. against the Raiders. And he came down on his neck, head and neck, and then he you know, couldn't move his arms and his legs, and he had a spinal cord injury, a traumatic spinal cord injury to the cervical spine. It looks like uh, Ryan Shazier's injury is probably to his thoracic spine. That's just me guessing because he was using his arms uh, and, and trying to – pull and hold his thoracic spine area that he was trying to rub it when he did it. So I think he had injured his middle portion of his back. The fact that he used his arms tells you that most likely it was below his cervical spine or really low, low in the cervical spine because those, those nerves have already come off there. So to have, have an injury above that, he couldn't have used his arms or they would have been at least weak. So the fact that his is in his thoracic spine, it affects uh, your legs and you can still affect your bowel and bladder and those types of things as well. But when they talk about having a fracture dislocation, remember you have a ring that surrounds your spinal cord. So that ring can sometimes have enough force through it that it causes either a, a either or, yeah, or can be and sometimes, it can cause it to burst. And that ring now is unstable. You can have fractures to different areas in that ring. And it also sometimes you can get hit so hard that remember one vertebral body and spinal cord segment is attached to the next one through joints in the back. There's two little hinge joints. Remember in the front, you got the big bones called vertebral bodies and the discs. And those little joints in the back can sometimes get dislocated. And that can actually cause pressure to be on the ring. So when they say a fracture dislocation, he mostly had, most likely had both of those things. So they have to go in and they stabilize that, that ring around the spinal cord so it no longer puts pressure on there. But those are the scary moments in football when you get that much force that it causes an injury like we saw in Daryl Stingley when you and I were kids and then happens to, uh, you know, Ryan Shazier in, in football. But, yeah, you're right, man. Football is a violent game. I'm actually always amazed that the more people don't get injured exactly. or paralyzed in that game. I, I mean, I'm, know. I'm, I'm amazed at, at – well, I mean, at, one, they're, they are bigger, faster, stronger, but they're also bigger, faster, stronger. That helps them, you know, yes. not get injured as much because right. yeah. their muscles are strengthened. 
but yeah, just the way they collide, how they do it, I'm, I'm, I'm just, I'm kind of shocked the body is able to absorb that much punishment. But we do see them later in life if they get through, you know, without a major injury like that. They, they all break down in their fifties. Usually, it's very rare you see a, yeah. a guy who's played that hard for that long in his sixties just, you know, hopping around feeling great. You know, the, it is a violent sports dangerous. You know, you know the guy that I saw that I was remarkably. Uh, amazed and happy to see him walking with no limp. So I, I've gotten to be friends with Darren Woodson, and I've seen him in person, and I've watched him walk. And I'm sure he has some ailments here and there, you know. But golly, the guy looks like he's—he's he's the leading tackler of all time for the Dallas Cowboys. All time. Think about that for a minute. I mean, more than Randy White, more than you know Bob Lilly, but the leading tackler for the Dallas Cowboys. And he looks like he could go out and play today. He's been retired for a good long time now. He's in the Ring of Honor, rightfully so. But you know, I—he stayed fit. The guys that typically have the issues are the guys that are really, really strong when they play. They stop playing. Now they suddenly don't have a workout regimen they do on a regular basis or that they're made to do on a regular basis. They lose strength, and so now you have these guys who are usually heavy, they've had a lot of trauma, and they lose strength. I always hear this by patients, and I correct them. I corrected one this morning. She said, when I was younger and I was working all the time, I'm paying for that now. And I'm like, "Mm." when you were younger and you were working all the time, you were strong. I always ask them, did you have pain then? They're like, no. And then now they say they have pain. I said, do you do any exercise now? They're like, no. So really, when they're young and hardworking, they typically are stronger and they typically don't have pain. Football players, when they're playing, are typically in shape, very strong, able to take a heavy load. What happens is they finish their scaffolding, the muscles around, the stabilizing structures around all those structures get weak. And now you're carrying extra weight. You don't have the strength to carry it. Your core unsteady, and guess what? You get bad hips, you get bad knees, you get bad backs. Just because you're an NFL player doesn't mean you're not going to have ailments. You know Darren Woodson, a uh, local boy out here in Phoenix. Yes. Went to Maryvale High, she looks Arizona like State University. Yeah. That's my, my wife is a graduate of Maryvale High. She was there, the, I think they were seniors when she was a freshman. But uh, wow. he played in the backfield at Maryvale with Felipe Sparks, and they both went wow. to ASU and both went to the NFL. That was a pretty good football team. <laughs> that was a pretty good football <laughs> team. Yeah, we interviewed him here on the radio show, and he was a linebacker in at Arizona State. They became a safety in the NFL. But those types of guys, I see guys like uh, Jerry Don Logan, who was one of the all-time leading tacklers for the Baltimore Colts back in the Johnny Unitas era. He looks still slim, trim, works out every day, does a push-up, sit-up regiment every day. Jerry gets around. He, I'm sure he has ailments. I've never seen him for ailments, but he walks fine. He doesn't complain about joint pain, but he stayed strong. If you are going, This is not only in NFL players, but if you are going to have a good quality of life as you age, the key is staying strong. I didn't say walk or good cardiovascular, you know, uh, cardio aerobic activity, which is important, yeah, right. by the way, because you want to live longer and you want to have good heart and you want to be able to have a good quality of life. You want to, don't want to be immobilized because you suddenly have heart attacks and you have congestive heart failure and now you can't be strong because you can't be mobile because your heart. So you want to do aerobic activity, but if you want to have a good quality of life, stay strong. Do a strengthening program three to four times a week, somewhere in your workout regimen that works on some type of resistance training, whether that's body strength like you do with P90X, whether it's what I do with the Forge Abilene where I work out. We do you know, not only aerobic activity but some bench press. But stay strong if you want to have a good long-term quality of life, whether you're Darren Woodson, one of the greatest Cowboys, Dallas Cowboys ever, or you're, whether you're like Ferris and I and we want to be strong because we're weekend warriors we want to do the stuff we want to do in regular life. 
Hey, we'll be right back with more Docs and Jocks. When we come back, we'll be talking to Dan Minucci of Rock and Minucci, the longest-running sports radio show in the Valley of Phoenix. And we'll be back with that, uh, talking to his career with the Buffalo Bills and more in the NFL. Right back with more Docs and Jocks. You're listening to Docs and Jocks, brought to you in part by Joe Walker State Farm Insurance, Visual Edge, and Texas Sport and Spine. Touchdown. Now back to more Docs and Jocks with Dr. Dan and Ferris. Hey, welcome back to Docs and Jocks, your sports medicine radio show. My name is Dr. Dan, longtime sports medicine physician with Texas Sport and Spine, doing what I do here on air as my day job as well. So love to have you be our listener. And by the way, you can listen to us in multiple different ways. You can catch us on our, go to our website at docsandjocks.com, D-O-X-N-J-O-X.com, or you can listen to our iTunes podcast, Docs and Jocks, D-O-X-N-J-O-X. Thanks for making it one of the fastest growing podcasts out there. Great to have you with us today. Always joined by my co-host, Ferris Potter. Man, Ferris, great show. Got a good friend of yours and mine on air with us here. We have on Dan Minucci. He is from Rockin' Minucci. Uh, if you were one of our Phoenix listeners, which were basically from Dallas to Phoenix, uh, he is one of the longest-running sports radio shows in all the Valley, 13-plus years. In fact, he is the longest-running sports radio show. He's also been a professional quarterback with the Buffalo Bills, where he came after he had a, a Great career with Kansas State. Then he played on, went on and played in the CFL as well as the USFL. Uh, man, I really appreciate you coming on the radio show. Uh, Dr. Dan, you and Ferris, we affectionately call him Colonel Potter. <laughs> always nice to join you guys. And uh, it's fun because we always appreciate you coming on and both you and Potter coming on because it's interesting with all the, the injuries that are out oh, there. But we've just seen a plethora yes. uh, of football injuries. But uh, I appreciate it. Yeah, it's always Always good to be the longest-running yes. duo, that being Rock and I. And guys, fortunately, I haven't had a chance to strangle him or kill him yet, so I guess we're all good to go. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> hey, but let's do something you probably don't do on your radio show a whole lot. Is just Let's talk about your career because, man, it's a fascinating football career because you start off a great high school career, obviously. Then you go on, play for Kansas State. Then you go on and play for the Buffalo Bills. But not only play in the NFL, you also play in the CFL and the USFL, which a lot of our younger listeners might not even know have heard of the USFL. And then you come back and finish in 1987 with the Buffalo Bills playing that replacement year. So let's start off with, uh, tell us your early on in your career. When did you think in your high school career, wow, I could see this possibly being something I could do as a profession and go in Division One to Kansas State? You know, it's, it's interesting, guys, because I, from a touch like high school, I was a baseball, football player combo kind of a guy. And I decided, look, if I didn't get any major scholarships, um, I would go the JUCO route. So what I did is I went to Mesa Community College wow. for a year and a half there. I played football and baseball. And then I transferred to Kansas State that second semester of my sophomore year and then went there from K-State for my last two years. And to answer your question, Doc, um, I think that I, I was extremely blessed with a strong arm. I mean, ever since I was a young kid, um, I could throw a football and baseball forever, and I could throw all day, all night. And I think probably my senior year in high school, um, I could throw a football 70 yards, which is very unusual for a high school kid yeah. to throw it 70 yards. Um, and then we had a lot of guys like the J.D. Hills of the world, the Mike Hayes. A lot of the professional athletes that played around here at Arizona State University, they always came home in the off season, and they always picked me to throw to them because they wanted the guy that was closest to a professional football player as far as timing, Wow. Arm strength, velocity of the football, et cetera, et cetera. So it was probably senior year, freshman year in college. Scouts used to come out and watch guys practice. We didn't know this. And a guy told one of my buddies, he said, that Minucci kid really throws a hell of a ball. If he keeps, if he keeps uh, you know, producing and growing, he could be a professional football player. And somebody told me that. I went, yeah, whatever. They just wow. say that. 
<laughs> but I just think that at a very young age, I had a very strong arm. Um, you know, I would I got to six two, about one hundred eighty pounds, and I put thirty pounds on in college. And I think, guys, when you realize you have talent, you don't think, "Gosh, if I ever get a chance to go somewhere, um, what would that chance be?" So when I got to Kansas State University, long story short, um, I just worked as hard as I could, um, developed, and guys, I start off as the fifth quarterback wow. in spring practice at Kansas State University. <laughs> oh, wow. So when I realized I could throw, I could run. It was just a matter of me honing my skills, yeah. getting bigger, stronger, faster. And then as things evolved, you just need to play. I developed, was very fortunate after my senior year to, to get drafted in the fifth round and go play for the Buffalo Bills. So, yeah, I, I kind of knew I had the talent. But until you really start to see yourself grow and develop, you go, you know what, I could do this. And got to pro football, realized I could do this. That's awesome. Ferris? Dan, what, what was your favorite sport, baseball or football, growing up? You know, it's, it's interesting you say that. It, it, I love baseball, guys. I love baseball, and I really liked football. You know, football was kind of one of those things. I, I had a strong arm and loved to play. Then all of a sudden, when I got to college, I realized I really loved this football thing. I could see myself growing. And in baseball, I realized, guys, I love it, but this is so tough to make it to the next level. So when I got to Kansas State, the full ride to Kansas State to play football, I had to make a decision. Yeah. At that point, I said, you know what? A bird in the hands, we're two in the bush. I got this opportunity to continue to grow. I got this arm. I've got this ability. I put baseball in the back burner and said, you know what? i gotta, I got to move on. But, Ferris, to your, uh, to your point, I really loved the game of baseball. But then I grew into loving football more and more and more. I mean, I always loved it. Slept with my football growing up as a kid. <laughs> But that was one of those things that you know, I loved both of them so much. I just had to make that decision. And I think the decision's made when all of a sudden you have scouts calling your coaches and hey, Dan, <laughs> right. we like you to work out. And I'd have scouts come around during the offseason after my senior year. And after that happened, I mean, more and more. And by the way, I had a chance to go play baseball after my senior year wow. at Kansas State. Coach Baker wanted me to come out. And, and guys, literally, I literally drove the baseball practice, the first practice, it was probably, I want to say early, uh, I'm sorry, mid-January at Kansas State. I got out of the car and I stopped. <laughs> I had my glove, my pleats. I said, you know what? I just have too many people calling me all the time. It'd be unfair for me to not be able to make a road trip or go on a road trip and miss the scouts or the coaches from the National Football League yeah. coming into Manhattan. So I had to call Coach Baker and say, you know what, Coach? I just can't do it. He said, Dan, you had a chance of getting drafted in Major League Baseball as well. And I said, Coach, I know that, but I think I'm just going to try this football route and see what happens. Wow. And we're talking to Dan Minucci, former NFL quarterback with the Buffalo Bills and now uh, sports broadcaster with Rock and Minucci Show. Hey, uh, Dan, tell us about, you know, you now work with quarterbacks and you, you work with them, you know, on weekends and after hours. Did it help you being a guy that comes out of high school, you go junior college route, you're the fifth-string quarterback at Kansas State, but you go on to have a great career and get drafted by the Buffalo Bills in the fifth round? Does that help you now when you talk to that, you tell that story to the young quarterbacks that you're dealing with, saying, hey, man, if you'll work hard, you can continue to get in better and better and better and move up that ladder? You know what? You bring up a great point, Doc, because I tell these kids, the quarterback position, I feel, is probably the hardest position physically and mentally uh, to play in any kind of sport, especially football. And the reason why I tell these guys, I said, look, if, if this was easy, there'd be 90 of you out here every weekend mm-hmm. versus five or six per session. And I do like six sessions uh, on Sunday, and I do like five sessions on Saturday. Wow. And I'm having anywhere from four to six kids per session. But it, it is hard. It is a persevering sport. It is a, a, it, and the position, if you throw a bad pass, you've got to learn about it. 
and understand why you did. And I always say, look, if you get knocked down, you've got to get back up and call the next play. Now, if you screw up, don't continue to screw up. You've got to realize, excuse me, why you screwed up, and you just got to take that. Because as a quarterback, you have to have a very short memory. But, Doc, to your point, yes, you have to persevere, yeah. endure, stay on course, and you have to believe in yourself. If you've got skill and talent, you've got to believe in yourself. And I think that that is the story I went through, all the adversity that I went through to eventually come out on top of all this is a story that they need to understand. It's not going to be hunky-dory. I mean, you might get beat 35 to zip one weekend. You might win the next weekend big. But as a quarterback, you're that guy that's the leader, not only on the field, but off the field. And that means you show up early. You take that lap before we get started. You do all the little things. And on top of that, you be the leader in the classroom, off the classroom, and you just got to lead by example. You have to be a hauler guy, but lead by example. And I think what I tell them most is that, look, number one, you got to show up. Number two, you got to work on your own. Um, I can't be around you three, four, five days a week. So it's what you do on your own, what we take from what we did, is what helps these guys the most. And I tell them, look, we come out here to progress. We can't regress. We're always out here to, to progress, Pro, be proactive and progress. And I said, you have to do that during the days off. And those kids that, that do that, I tell them, look, I can't guarantee you a scholarship. I can't guarantee you success. But I can guarantee you that if you continue to work hard at what you're doing now, that will carry you on in school. And if you don't make it, it'll carry you on in life. And, and those are some of the life lessons that oh, man, awesome. a lot of the guys I've had over the years have, have come to fruition. That's incredible. Great story. Yeah, Dan, we're seeing a lot of uh, these, especially these quarterbacks out of Arizona, getting some nice looks at the big-time colleges. seems like the SEC kind of likes some of these Arizona quarterbacks, too. Well, I think all of them do. And I think most of the guys nowadays, as opposed to when we were growing up, um, there's more camps, there's more exposure, there's more social media, um, there's more self-recruiting, and, and they really do. I and mean, you look at uh, the SEC with uh, Kyle Allen, he went to A&M, and now he's down at Houston. Um, heck, you look at Brian Lewerke, who's at Michigan State. You look at Ryan Finley, he's at North Carolina State. I mean, those last two guys I mentioned played at, uh, at, at uh, one, uh, Finley played at Paradise Valley High School. Uh, Lewerke played at Pinnacle. Allen played at Desert Mountain. I coached Daryl Gerritsen, who is at Chandler High School. He's over. He just finished up at Oregon State. I coached a kid named Tyler Shuck, who's out of Hamilton High School. He's going to Oregon. He was number five rated in the Elite 11 that they just had this last summer. Wow. So I, I think, guys, it, it's, it's private coaches like myself, Rudy Carpenter, Dennis Giles, Mike Giovando here in the Valley that are training these guys up. There's more seven-on-seven seven leagues. There's more exposure. And I think all these – Big schools are seeing Arizona as a hotbed, not only for quarterbacks, for receivers, running backs, and linemen. And, guys, Arizona is definitely on the map. So when you see the quarterback position, uh, I really believe that the growth has been a combination of several of, of many major factors. And guys like me, helping them understand as far as throwing the ball in mechanics and then being mechanically sound is what so many of these coaches come and go, wow, this kid's he's way ahead of the curve. He can actually take a snap under center. You know, those yep. little things like that as far as running the option offense, too. Hey, listen to Docs and Jocks. We're interviewing Dan Minucci of Rock and Minucci, former NFL quarterback for the Buffalo Bills. Barry, you had a question? Hey, Dan, I know you could probably answer this question for about the next 45 minutes to an hour, but we've only got about three minutes left in this interview, <laughs> so try to keep it concise. But uh, you mentioned these guys. They're all going out of state. Can yeah. Herm Edwards keep some of these guys in state, or was that a bad, bad idea by Ray Anderson to hire Herm? 
Well, you know, I, I like the higher, you know, I think it's the proof's going to be the pudding. I mean, you know, he'll win that presser. I think that the term's got to prove it to everybody. Um, you know, they did recruit Bryce Perkins, who I, uh, who I trained at Chandler High School. He came to ASU. Uh, Wolf again, I think, the fair shot, and then he got hurt. Um, he went to Arizona Western. Now he's going to the University of Virginia. And he'll go there. Ryan Kelly from Basha High School. You know, he, he came to ASU. He's over there. So what I think is what Herm Edwards has to do, he's got to go in the recruiting war and keep the top-notch quarterbacks, keep the top-notch players to go to ASU and not U of A because they're losing guys, so many guys. And quite frankly, Todd Graham was not even on the campus these last two years, his staff wow. at Chandler. They weren't, on the, they weren't on the campus of Sorrell High School this last year. That can't happen. Yeah. You've got to get the best of the best to stay in Arizona and to your question, I think Herman Edwards will do a good job. I like the new model, but he's got to go get the recruits. Hey, guys, we all know players win and coaches lose. And as Chuck Knox told me in Buffalo, <laughs> hey, also, coaches lose, players win. And you've got to have the players if you're going to go to that next tier level stop. Hey, Dan, you're one of the unique – you have a very unique perspective and, and, uh, because you really played in four different leagues. And let me, let me paraphrase that by saying you played in the NFL, then you play in the Canadian Football League, then you go to the USL, USFL, which is around for a short period of time, then you go back to the NFL when, it's, when it's, they're on a player strike during that replacement period of time. That had to be different. Tell us about what it was like being in all four of those different situations. Well, I learned a lot. The National Football League, guys, is the cream of the crop. Let's make no doubt about it. Going to the CFL, wider field, more passing, more open. Um, it, it's not quite the National Football League. I'd probably compare it to, I'm going to say, uh, you know, D1AA type of football because you're going to have, like, 15 Americans uh-huh. on the team. United States Football League, doggone it, if we could have stayed in the spring, I think we might have flourished. Some of those teams might have gone to the National Football League. And then going back to the National Football League, hey, it's a dream come true in those replacement games. I mean, I had guys that had not played one snap in the National Football League. I think I was one of two. <laughs> yeah. We had a couple of guys cross the picket line. And quick story before we get out of here, Jim Ringo, the former, the great offensive lineman for the, for the Packers, yeah. he was our offensive line coach oh, wow. in Buffalo in 87. So I'm at my locker getting ready for the game, put my socks and shoes on, and he walks by smoking a cigarette, and he's just walking by real slow. He stops, pulls out a cigarette, looks at me, and goes, Manooch, be careful out there. Puts the cigarette back in his mouth and walks out. I said, thanks a lot, Coach. I feel the love on that one. Oh, man, that's crazy. (laughs) Hey, we just got about a minute here left, Dan. And if if someone's driving around the Phoenix area or maybe outside the Phoenix area, but they're very interested in having you do some quarterback training for their young son, uh, how can they get in contact with you, and how can they make that happen? It's just really easy. All i got to do is just go to dan36 at cox.net. That's dan36 at cox.net. They can call myself, 480-516-6002, or go to dan36 at cox.net. And then last but not least is uh, tell us what's new on Rock and Mnooch and uh, why the listeners should list catch your show. Well, we got a we're kind of we call the sports taming guys. You know, we get guys, we get exciting guests like Ferris slash Colonel Potter on the TCU <laughs> magnet. Yes, get him on the get him on the show. We get all kinds of great guests, great shows, and we're more of the sports taming. We're not your basic X's and O's. We kind of go the we kind of go the gap and just a just a couple of Italian kids just having a great time talking sports. Awesome. Well, God bless you, Manucci. If you've been putting up with Rock for thirteen years, you're a saint. Man. Good for you. <laughs> 
Uh, great stuff, guys. Hey, thank you so much. Always a pleasure. Yeah, there's a reason it's the longest-running sports uh, radio show in all the Valley. you got to catch Rockin' Manouche. Great show. Hey, appreciate you coming on. Appreciate you talking about your career, your quarterback training. We'll have you on again real soon. And maybe talk a little Thanks, NFL guys, quarterback. It. Thank you so much. We'll ha- have you on again. Bye-bye. Hey, we'll be right back. More Docs and Jocks after this short commercial break. You're listening to Docs and Jocks, brought to you in part by Abilene Sports Medicine, Hardin-Simmons University, and Lawrence Hall Chevrolet. Touchdown. Now, back to more Docs and Jocks with Dr. Dan and Ferris. Hey, welcome back to Docs and Jocks. Great to have you with us today. Just catching our show for the very first time. Want to find out more about our show? You can do that by going to docsandjocks.com, D-O-X-M-J-O-X.com. We are coming to you from inside the Forge Abilene Sports Training Facility. My show overlooks a great field right now of People who are like-minded, who are trying to stay exercising, doing the best they can, whatever that might be. What does he always tell me, Ferris? Uh, do your best and forget the rest. That's, I believe that's your Tony Horton uh, Tony Horton, do your best and forget the rest. I know. That's Ferris Potter, Boom. my co-host each week, the voice of Grand Canyon University. Hey, that was a fun interview with your buddy, uh, Rockin' Manooch. We just had uh, Manooch on talking about what's going on in the quarterback world and what's going on with his show and his quarterback training. He's a good guy. You know, um, I was doing a show with Darren Phillip. Back, back, back in the day on a Christian radio station, 1280 KRDS, and um, we did a show on Saturdays called Real Sports. We came up with that name long before Bryant Gumbel stole it from us, <laughs> and um, I had Garth Jacks was my football insider that I'd come on on Saturdays, and then he was moving, and he said, you should get this guy Dan Minucci on. I'm like, Dan Minucci? I've never heard of that guy. And we got him on, and he was great, and then Rock was producing a show at that time, a golf show. And then Rock decided to start game day with Rock and Mo, and then it turned into Rock and Wolf when Ron Wolfley, who's now on, yeah. uh, does the Cardinals games. Does a great job. And then that. when Ron Wolfley got too busy, I think I think Ron Wolfley actually took the head coaching job at Phoenix College, and Rock called me and goes, "Hey, you want to be on? You know, you want to come in and 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 host?" I'm like, "Dude, I can't with my job." And he's like, "I'm going to see if Manuch will do it." And boom, that was like 14 years ago, and they've been together ever since. Dude, you would have been 14 years. Been it would have been Rock and. What would you, what, they call you the Colonel, Rock and the Colonel. Rock and the Colonel, we would not have lasted that long. Uh, <laughs> there's no way that could have worked. I, Rock and I are good good buddies. I like him. He's a great guy. But, yeah, I think him and Manooch, it's, if you listen to their show, it's a perfect mix mm-hmm. of uh, talent and skill, and they, they just mesh together really well. So Kind of like what we do with Ferris and Dr. Dan here on Docs and Jocks. Yeah, yeah, Very exactly. Similar. Perfect. You're like the you're, you're the pro athlete. You played at a high level. You know, <laughs> you know that athletic side of it. You know, you know what's funny though about Manuch is it's just like a lot of pro athletes. We were talking about it in the first segment. Now a lot of them when they quit playing, they just kind of let their bodies go to. But uh, most of them, a lot of them don't. And it's amazing to me. Like you talk, he talked about that how, you know, he could throw a football seventy yards. He but he had to grind and work really hard to get where he got right, right. because it's, at that level it's just so incredible. But you forget. It's why it cracks me up when people are like, oh, these backup quarterbacks in the NFL stink. I'm like, do you realize just because they're just being in the NFL, Blaine Gabber is one of the best, like one of the top 50 quarterbacks in the entire country in the world? Yeah. Like, there's we, a reason. We can easily <laughs> say that guy stinks. Tom Savage stinks. No, he doesn't. Yeah, He's one of the top 100 in the entire world. There's a reason they pay Matt Stafford some ridiculous amount of millions of dollars because there's so few people who can do it, right? So few people who can yeah. do it. To be and an the NFL quarterback, guy is, yeah. Who could do it? And even still to this day, you look at him and he just looks like he's fit. He's athletic. And they're usually like they can do everything, you know, like he played baseball. He probably could play golf. He could play basketball, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it's it's they're just they're just kind of these unique specimens and that unique mindset to 
to get him to that next level. It's pretty cool. He's a good guy, though. That's awesome. Well, you know, one of the things I want to talk about was this week was a crazy week in the NFL, and so we were talking about all the different injuries. We're going to talk about a few more of those injuries coming up here, but I want to get, talk about a quote that we heard from Ben Roethlisberger. And Big Ben is the quarterback and has been for a long time with the Pittsburgh Steelers. He has made his fortune being an NFL quarterback, obviously, and he's a fan favorite with the Pittsburgh Steelers. He's kind of a face of a franchise. He's the rough, tough, big guy that's always talked about how strong and how tough he is, and he won't miss a game because he's, you know, he's, he's Big Ben. And he's led him to a you know a couple Super Bowls, so he's he's had success on the field as well. So it was interesting. A reporter, he was on a news uh, radio show, kind of like ours, and he was talking to one of the uh, broadcasters, and they had to ask him basically, you know, what's your son going to do? Are you going to want your son to follow in your footsteps? And so I thought it was really uh, interesting his take on whether or not he would let his son play football. Vince, oh, my son plays golf, <laughs> you know, or or if he wants to play football, that that's fine too. But um, you know, it's uh it's a tough sport, not for everyone. Wow. I hope my son plays golf. It's, it's a tough sport. It's not for everyone. He's talking about football there. So, you know, you think Big Ben Roethlisberger, you know, you'd want your son to follow in your footsteps. I know as a, as a sports medicine physician, I'd be proud if my daughter or my son followed in my footsteps. So, um, I don't know, Ferris, what do you think about that? I think in today's time, I th- the thing that Big Ben did say was it's his decision. You know, so he's, he didn't say I wouldn't let him play football. But basically, I hope my son plays golf and not football. Well, I think it just goes to show you that that these guys know the risks and they know and he knows the pain that he goes through. And he probably he's smart enough. He probably knows what he's in for in the next 20, 25 years with all those injuries and things like that that he suffered. And, you know, seeing a teammate go down like he did. Um, But it, it just goes to show you these guys don't mind putting their own, you know, bodies on the line day in and day out. But when it's a loved one and they have no control over it, you know, yeah. He'd rather probably not have his kid play football. He'd rather have him play some other sport, you know, or yeah. be a doctor or a lawyer or, or a yeah. construction guy or something because he knows firsthand, you know, every day you go out there and you could be carted off like uh, Shazier's was. I mean, it just could happen. It doesn't happen a lot, thank, thank goodness, but it does happen. I'm trying to think of the best father-son combination in professional football. I guess you'd have to say the Mannings. You know, Archie Manning was good. He was definitely good for his time. He wasn't great. But then he has two sons that go on and win, you know, four Super Bowls between them. So I think that would be one. And then the other one I was thinking was probably Howie Long, Chris Long. That would be a good combination. Yeah. Any other any other father son combination? Matthews, Clay Matthews, oh, yeah, Clay of Matthews Junior. Yeah, that's a good um, one. Mm-hmm. You know, would probably really good. I'm mean, I'm sure there's more. I can't. They. It's a. It's much more pre- prevalent was, in baseball. Was it Bruce Matthews and Clay Matthews? I think it's Bruce. Oh, Bruce Matthews, Matthews yeah, and Clay yeah. Matthews. Yeah, I think. Yeah, it's Bruce. Yeah, because he played like 20 years. Played line forever. Was, yeah. So. Uh, the Oilers and the Titans. I think he was one of the only guys that was an Oiler and a Titan, wasn't he? Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, it's it's more prevalent in baseball though. You see grandfathers, well, we you know, said, yeah. dads and, and Gus, sons in baseball. The Buddy Boone. and I don't know what was he again? Gus Bell. Um, what was it, the middle one? Yeah, Gus, Gus is the, Bell is the grandpa. Aaron or no? Ah, Dad Gummit. Buddy Bell. Buddy and, Bell. And uh, another one. But who are the Boons? You got Ray Boone. Then who's uh, who's the other Boone out of there? You show me something else. Yeah, the Greasies were also one. Bob Greasy yeah. and Ryan Greasy, yeah. obviously. Yeah, they were good. Yeah, but Aaron Boone, good. and then his dad was Bob Boone, and his Bob Boone, uh, Brett Boone's his brother. Ray Boone had, was the grandfather. Yeah, Ray Boone was the grandfather. Yeah, yeah. yeah he had two kids, Brett Boone and Aaron Boone, playing. Yeah. You know, too. Wow, I didn't know Tim Raines Jr. played. Really. You got Tim Raines and Tim Raines Jr. I didn't realize that. Jose, uh, yeah, Jose Cruz, Jose Cruz Jr. Yeah, this is probably a good one. Tony Gwynn, Tony, Tony Gwynn Jr. Uh, yeah, I got the Lou brothers. There's a bunch of Lou brothers in there. So Sandy Alomar and uh, Roberto Alomar were brothers, and then their dad, Sandy Alomar Sr., 
So, yeah, yeah, there's definitely been some combinations, but you don't see it a whole lot in football. But when it does happen, so you know, you have to think a guy like Howie Long knew exactly to tell what his son, Howie Long played on one of the yeah. roughest, meanest teams uh, ever to be put together. He was on those Raider teams with uh, uh, Alzado and all the Raiders when they were doing it at their at their peak of their prime. So he knew what to tell Chris Long. You know, it's funny to me. I mean, because yeah, there there was an outcry this week about how how brutal that game was. But I just wonder if Terry Bradshaw still watches a game like that and goes, that's like cupcakes. I mean, there, there's video of Terry Bradshaw completing a pass, standing there. Four seconds later, a guy on the Raiders just grabs him, picks him up, and pile drives his head into the ground. Mm-hmm. Like, that happened regularly. I mean, Dick Butkus regularly would late hit guys, would forearm shiver guys, would just, you know, clothesline guys. guys clotheslines were legal. Clotheslines were legal. Yeah. Was it Bubba Smith? I wonder, the famous the, I wonder if the— I, you know, I wonder, I mean, in our lens now, that was a brutal game. That was a very hard-hitting game. But I wonder if the guys that played back in the 50s and 60s and early 70s go, are you kidding me? I'd take that any day of the week compared to just, what I went through on a regular basis. Yeah, I had a guy named Bill Forrester who was the uh, captain of the team. He's a middle linebacker for Vince Lombardi's uh, early Green Bay Packers. I never once ever heard him. I had lots of conversations. I was his fishing buddy. We would get in a little rowboat together. We'd we'd row around this little lake. He and I would. And I would literally be in a boat with Bill multiple times. I've done this where we would be in a, in a boat together for ten hours. I never once ever heard him talk about how mean, nasty, hard hitting, vicious the game was. I don't know why, but Bill just didn't think that way. I don't think they had that in their mindset because that was just a game they chose to play, and they knew going in what they were choosing to play. So. You know, if probably if I were to ask him a lot of questions about it, he would tell me some hard hits or some late hits. Tell me some crazy stories, you know, about, you know, br- breaking his hand and staying in the game and stuff. But, yeah, I don't think they thought that way because there had been no thought up to that point in time that football was supposed to be anything different than what it was. That's just my yeah, opinion. And you probably didn't have all the, all the information about what the damage it could do. And you yeah. didn't have, you know, now, now there's so much more coverage. I'm sure you had guys back then when Bradshaw was just playing as a youngster you had old timers who couldn't walk very well and were sick and dying young, but you just didn't know about it that much. It was didn't make the news. Now every time an ex NFL player gets any type of illness, man, it's front page and it's oh, is it because of head trauma? Is it because of this? Is it because of that? You know, and it's good. There's more information, but I think with the more information, I think you see a lot more um, pro football players saying, "Yeah, I'd rather my kid not do that. I think it'd be great if he played something else." Yeah, it's a struggle that I have as being a guy who grew up and loving football. I still do love football. Watching the game when I grew up. In such a way, I remember I told the story, I think last week on air, Chuck Cecil, one of the famous uh, Cardinal headhunters, he played safety for, I believe it was the St. Louis Cardinals, and he went to Arizona Cardinals. He goes into a game, knocks himself and another guy out, gets taken off the sidelines. They do, they show him doing the smelling salts, waking him up. He goes back in the game, his next hit, spears another guy, knocks himself and the other guy out. So that game, which was the game, you know, you always watched it. I used to buy the... Uh, NFL's greatest hits, you know, the, the showing, you know, Dick Buckus doing his thing and knocking guys out and the great hits by Mean Joe Green and, and Jack Lambert of the Steeler, the, you know, the Steel Curtain. So I go, I grew up in that era, and then now we're in this era where I'm now a team physician, a sports medicine physician, and I'm like, wow, there are some long-term ramifications of having multiple traumatic brain injuries that I'm now aware of. So I'm in this conundrum of, where, what is right? What is wrong? Should I always err on the side of safety with the player? Should I still love the game because these guys want to play it? Well, that's kind of what Brent Musburger, who's one of the famous Hall of Fame broadcasters, 
in your world, Ferris, and we grew up listening to Brent do every, you know, college as well as NFL and all the different games he did. But after the Bengals-Steelers game, remember there was a big backlash if you listen to that game. Uh, John Gruden was one of them. And he and his partner were going on and on about the violent nature of football and how they need to outlaw this and need to be illegal, the uh, hitting, especially the, Avon, uh, the perfect hit, the Vontez perfect hit. And they were talking about how violent of a game was. And so, so Brent Musburger, I, I, you know, I never know how these guys are going to fall because, you know, you don't know if they're going to err on the side of, like I said, the uh, medical evidence right. now, or they're going to fall on the side of, you know, this is crazy. So here's Brent Musburger's tweet. It starts off, yo, snowflakes. This is Musburger tweeting. He said, quit preaching. The violent world of Sam Huff sold NFL football to the masses. The Dallas Cowboy cheerleaders gave us a little sex with our violence. Deal with it. So, I mean, I think we know where Brent Musburger fell. But, yeah, there's a point in time where you say, I just don't know. If you're going to choose to play that game, we have tried to legislate out the worst of the worst plays, right? You no longer can clothesline anybody. You no longer can horse collar players. You can't hit them below the knees. We've taken most of the dangerous special teams plays by putting the, you know, the the kicker so close now they kick it out of the end zone. Most of those plays are out. So we've legislated as almost as much violence out of the game. They either get suspended or they get fined if they do do one of these hits. So there's a penalty for it. But at some point in time, you have to say the NFL is a violent game played by large men who enjoy the game as the way it stands and they want to play the game. So there is a fine line there. I'm sure still I feel like my pendulum of where that line should be continues to swing for me, and I'm sure it does for a lot of guys like Brent Musburger, for a lot of guys like you, Ferris, for the guys of us who grew up loving football the way it used to be, and then for the younger generation who never knew that game. So I don't know. That answer, to answer the question, I don't know. Brent, uh, Brent uh, was came along at the right time. <laughs> Brent Snowflakes. coming along <laughs> with those views right now would not have a job. No. Um, you know, Brent's the oh. guy, too, that introduced gambling to the sex and the violence of the NFL. He I mean, did. He, they, they had Jimmy the Greek on. Oh, they would yeah. unabashedly talk Jimmy about the, the line, yeah. you know, and, and Brent is the guy who, if you ever listen to old stuff, he would always put it in. He would say, Brent Muskerberger coming to you live where Penn State is set to take on Ohio State. It's a beautiful 74 degrees, no rain in the forecast. We expect clear skies. He would say that he was the first guy to talk about the weather at a football game hundred percent for the late money on gambling. That's really? why he did it. I did yep, not know that, Ferris. He would come in and say, "Oh, it's going to be a torrential downpour today. Expected to be an ugly game with no no chance for this high power <laughs> the offense to throw the ball very well." And all of a sudden, the late money would just start coming in on the other oh, teams. Oh wow! I never knew that. You're always well, the one. You're always the conspiracy guy. Like there's money involved with everything and conspiracy <laughs> there and everything. And there's. I just thought he was giving us the weather report, man. I was so naive. No, but Brent knew. I mean, Brent was just like, hey, this like that that's Brent's attitude. Deal with it. This is really happening. Why do we have to act like it's not happening? Yeah. Like let's just let's just be honest about it. And that honesty was okay in the 60s, 70s and a little part of the 80s. It it doesn't play very well now with the way the world is. <laughs> Yo snowflakes. I don't even remember who Sam Huff is. I guess he was a generation before us, huh? I guess he was, was Oh he- yeah, he was. Yeah, he was back in the back in the Johnny Unitas types of days and so, stuff. So like he was a quarterback? That, he, and he, they said he talked about it, he brought in violence, so I don't know how a quarterback would be. I don't remember what he played. I can't remember. Hawk, I mean, there's that. guys. You on it? There's guys out there now listening to this old-timers old going, Look, Sam Huff? Come on. Yeah, yeah. But, Hawk's on it. He's going to find out who Sam Huff is. So 
Uh, we need to have a little uh, – we got to do it within 20 seconds here. Hawk, can you get it fast enough for us? So find out who Sam Huff was, who he played for. Hey, listen, put them back like rugby. Put them with leather helmets with no chin strap and no face mask, and they'll quit hitting the way they Giants hit. He was Giants Redskins quarterback? Linebacker. Linebacker. Of course he was a linebacker. Could have been a quarterback. Yeah, here we go. Back in the old days, man, linebacker. We've got to get some old film of Sam Huff and watch that here on Docs and Jocks. Hey, when we come back, we're going to have more Docs and Jocks, your sports medicine radio show. We're also going to have on lovely Miss Tracy Munton doing your mental minute, talking about how you can get mentally strong. We'll be right back with more Docs and Jocks. Stan Jocks, brought to you in part by Sylvan Learning Center, Dr. Melton Chiropractic, and Texas Sports Hall of Fame. Touchdown. Now back to more Docs and Jocks with Dr. Dan and Ferris. Hey, welcome back to Docs and Jocks, your sports medicine radio show. So glad to have you with us today. Hey, just catching our show for the first time. Want to find out more about it? Please do so by going to docsandjocks.com, D-O-X-N-J-O-X.com. There you can find out more about my co-host, Ferris Potter, the voice of Grand Canyon University, as well as former actor, Hollywood star, you name it. I think we went over that. I don't know why. I got that on the mind today, Ferris. Then you had Manoush saying you look like, uh, you know, Ferris Bueller from Ferris Bueller's Day Off. And everything seems Hollywood today for me. I don't know. I don't know, man. I don't know what's going on. You've been watching some <laughs> some Netflix. What's what's happening know. over there? I have been watching some. My son loves that crazy Netflix show. What's uh something? Uh, what is that? Strange World or Strange Stranger Things? Stranger Ooh, Things. Yeah. He likes that. Yeah, it makes me uh, kind of gross me out. Be honest with you, but I'm I'm yeah. probably one of like fifty million people I think watched it or something. So yeah. oh, it's huge. Yeah. yeah, I don't watch it either. It's not not my cup of tea, but it's yeah. it's got a following. Oh, the one I did watch uh, recently, the Netflix one, was the one about pumping iron. Talking about all those bodybuilders, they did a, a second one, and uh, Rich Piano, I think was his name, the giant, giant man, he talked mm. about on there, you know, all the steroids he takes, and growth hormone, and where he gets them, and how he injects them, and he's just humongous. Well, he died. He died, like, uh, I think shortly after they filmed the show. I watched the show, I didn't know that he had died, and so I thought, wow, this guy's, uh, he had a they had really big social media following, he said, that's how he kind of grew his fame was he really never had won a big powerlifting or bodybuilding event. I mean, he never really won a big event. He'd been in some, but he'd never really won them. Hmm. But he had this huge social media following. So I thought I'll check him out on, I, I, I do Instagram, so I thought I'll check him out. And I'm like, oh my God, he died. <laughs> so he was just, so, I think he was too big for life. The guy was huge, man. His head was huge. His arms were like the size of tree of- trunks. He's just gigantic. You ever seen that just dude in, in life? Kind of stuff, though. Yeah, well, like he talked about it. Oh, he yeah. talked about it openly. He said how he has talked about it. It's like how he injects steroids and how he does these cycles, and he's been on them for however many years he's been on them, and where he gets them, and how expensive they are, and how he injects. Uh, what was the other one? He injects, uh, I think, growth hormone and steroids, and oh my gosh, he he had a cocktail. It was crazy. Like horse, horse testosterone. Yeah, he was just straight up with it, man. He's just like, yeah, I got to do this if you want to be this big, and. Phew, I mean, his well, arm yeah. was bigger than, like, my whole body. I mean, it's, like, just gigantic. You got to pull that guy up. Rich Piano, I think is his name. Died. Rich Piano. But he was on Netflix. Yeah, I think it was Pumping Iron 2 or something like that. But they'd had another one. Everybody on there is so huge. Yeah, and, Pumping uh, Iron is a great one, though, man. Yeah, he was, talking about, uh, he was talking about the reason he combined different drugs was because uh, one of them, I believe it was growth hormone causes, and I didn't know this. I was learning these things from these bodybuilders. But... Uh, Hi, muscular hyperplasia. In other words, remember, normally you have a normal number of muscles that you can grow those muscle cells. You can grow their diameter. So as you grow each individual muscle fiber bigger, that's how you get bigger muscles. But you don't increase the number of cells, right? 
you increase the diameter of the cells you have. That's what steroids do. They increase the diameter of the muscle by allowing you to work out harder. So the breakdown and the buildup, you get increased diameter. But this growth hormone stuff that he said he was injecting was causing hyperplasia or increased number of cells. So now you have more muscle cells than what you were genetically given. So now as you grab more cells, you can grow more muscle by taking the steroids, which grow the muscle bigger. Woo! Wow. How about that? <laughs> yeah, he's big. I'm looking at it yeah. now. Man, he's massive. He's massive. Massive. And he, yeah. So. Wow. It's like he felt, yeah, they said it was like a, I don't know why. They, they said it might have been a drug overdose, all the steroids. He fell over and was in a coma or something. Yeah. Yeah, it's sad, man. Yeah, I just watched that show. It's like the only, I hadn't watched Netflix in forever. And I watched that and I thought, oh, this would be good for the show. Talking about uh, these these bodybuilding guys and coming the crazy stuff because we talk about performance enhancing drugs on here that these guys get busted for whether it's the Olympics with Russia now not being involved in the Olympics or you know with the Barry Bonds story Roger Clemens story we've talked about them over the years so I thought well that would be good I'll listen to this show and kind of find out some about that. and it was very it was very for me eye opening I, I mean they kind of talked about what these guys do and how they get this big and how they grow muscle <laughs> more cells so they can grow bigger muscles with bigger diameter with more steroids and more growth hormone and whoo it was it was it was mind-boggling yeah it's like a, it just becomes like probably another drug an addiction right an addiction yeah. to get bigger and yeah. faster and I, I, yeah. now he's it, he's huge I, that's not aesthetically pleasing no. to me though that 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 size he, he, like it looks like Arnold the was huge but he was tall and he was he, you know he had a lean muscle mass he was, he was big well proportioned of the time he's well proportioned yeah, yeah. Whereas he's yeah. just gigantic, mm-hmm. yeah. So, yeah, I, I don't think you can be a anything near that unless you're taking some type of supplement, you, some type of performance. Well, Arnold drug. did. All those guys were back then too. They just lied yeah. about it. They they admit now that they're. Frank Zane was the guy that when I ever watched looked at like his physique and stuff. I was like, no, that guy. He was really well proportioned. He was like five eleven, like one ninety five or whatever, two hundred pounds. Was really good physique. But yeah, they would just work out like crazy though. Yeah, and that's the thing about steroids is that they, when they talk about steroids, if you read the studies on them, originally when they said, uh, remember, American College of Sports Medicine early on in the steroids debate said that steroids do not increase muscle mass, nor do they increase athletic performance. That was like a statement by the American College of Sports Medicine. In Good. and of itself, it's probably <clears throat> steroids by themselves, are, it's probably true. Steroids with a workout regimen allows you to work out faster, recover faster, and get bigger, and then become more athletic due to that. That's how it works. So if you just take sedentary individuals, give them a bunch of steroids, and they don't do anything, well, it's probably true. You're not going to get all the gains. But you take a guy like Arnold Schwarzenegger, you fill him up with steroids, and he's doing a crazy workout already. He can now work out two days in a row on the same muscle group, and he's getting the gains faster because it allows the – how does it work? The protein synthesis of steroids allows the healing to occur quicker. Because remember, you gain muscle by tearing the muscle down. That's called eccentric exercise where imagine if you're taking a curl and you're letting it down slowly while you're doing that curl, you're letting your weight down. And so the biceps is getting longer as it's trying to fire. That's called an eccentric exercise. It causes the rope, which is kind of like the, the analogy of the muscle fibers, to tear slightly. So yeah. when it tears, your body then has a healing response and it uses protein to do that. That's why muscle builders always try and make sure they have plenty of protein. And it yeah. allows the healing to occur. And when it heals, it heals the muscle fiber in a larger diameter. So if you have a lot of 
strands of rope, and those strands have a larger diameter. Each individual one does collectively, then it's a larger diameter, right? And that's the you know the force, the power, mass, force ratio of physics, which I know that took a lot of physics to be pre-med, but. Equals MC squared. <laughs> there you go. That, yeah, it's, not, yeah, it works. It, it, people don't know. All I know is the bigger and the faster, the stronger, the more force you can apply. Boom. And you get more force by having a larger diameter of fiber in your yeah. muscle. So anyway, that's the you way know, steroids work. The thing that's interesting from a sports medicine standpoint on that uh, documentary, Pumping Iron, and look, it was a documentary made to make Arnold look really good, right? I uh-huh. mean, he kind of controlled some of that. But the mental – Arnold Schwarzenegger was, for a long time, the most – dominant physical specimen that's why he won but guys started catching up like the Lou Ferrignos and stuff but he kept beating them and you look at some of the pose offs and stuff you're like well that guy has a better that guy's a better physique but he was number one a great entertainer mm-hmm. and he studied like him and Franco Colombo took like ballet lessons so they yeah. could learn to pose better but he was such a master of the mind game we talk about mental strength all the time Tracy does that I mean the mental aspect of everything is so important he if you watch that vi- that uh, pumping iron He's constantly getting into his competitors' minds and getting them off their game. Just simple things like he would walk by and say, oh, is that, is, are those the trunks you're going to wear? And the guy would be like, yeah, why? And he'd go, oh, oh, no reason. And he'd walk away. And they would just get off their game. Like he was constantly putting thoughts and things into their minds. He was, a, he was an incredible like mental – he had such a great mental capacity himself, and he could get into other people's minds. It was pretty it, – it's Fun video to watch because it's pretty amazing. Dude, don't you remember when he came out and he was Conan Man? That was the first time I remember Arnold Schwarzenegger. He did the Conan movies. And he was just oh, yeah. gigantic, you know? And I was like, oh, my God. Where did that guy come from? I don't really remember him from Pumping Iron. I didn't watch it. I didn't see it. Maybe on HBO or something at the time. But I remember watching Conan. I'm like, oh, my gosh. That guy's here. Huge. You know, he was, a, he was a millionaire before his movie career took off because him and Franco Colombo started flipping houses. And they, they started buying renovating and selling houses in L.A. back in the in the early 70s, and he was a millionaire from that before he even started doing movies and stuff. Did, while he, he, do, was a body. did, he, did he do the reconstruction, like the demo and stuff? Yeah, no, no. He would, he would, he was the guy. He would go, they were looking to make money, and like Franco was a, from, from like Germany or somewhere, and he was an actual, his dad was a craftsman, so Franco could do bricklaying. So they started selling themselves to the Hollywood rich people as, Oh, you want real like German tile and Italian tile, and this guy's an expert. And they would go in and talk to him, and and Arnold would be talking to the guy and going, he, the guy would say, "Oh, I got a quote for five hundred dollars to do this patio." Arnold, well, ours is fifteen hundred dollars. And the guy, well, oh, I can't pay. And he goes, "Well, that's okay. I mean, your neighbor's doing it, so we'll just do his." And the guy went, "Whoa, what? My neighbor's doing it?" <laughs> oh, like he was just a, he could just get he people. Sell, huh? He was so good about getting in people's minds, you know. Yeah, that's awesome. But yeah, he was a millionaire before he even made any money. I did not know that story. I did not know the story. I just, I just, I'm going to go back and watch the one because after watching the one with Rick Piano and he just passing away, it was just such a freakish uh, deal, man. The guy looks like the Incredible Hulk. I mean, it's just absolutely, and it's rare that people who have done that in bodybuilding are open about what they took, like the performance enhancing drugs that they took, whether it's the steroids or whether it's human growth hormones. So me as a physician, nobody comes into my office and says, hey, I'm taking this. So I don't, I don't know that world. So it was just kind of eye-opening to say, oh, here's a guy that's actually being honest about it, and this is what they all do. And he was telling these other people, if you want to be as big as I am, this is how you have to do it. And I was like, oh, my gosh, man, it's, 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 well, it's kind of like when Jose Canseco know. came out and said, everybody in baseball is juicy. And you're like, wow. Yeah, no, no. I mean, that Rich Piano admits it, and in bodybuilding they take it, but you know, only Jose, nobody else in baseball or any other pro sport <laughs> takes any of that. Oh, stuff. speaking of which, man, we speaking of that, uh, the performance enhancing drug issue, did you see where Rafael Palmero, one of the most famous uh, 
guys in the testimony to the U.S. Congress who said, I did not take steroids, period, or whatever he said, you know, kind of pointed his finger. Yeah. And then he got busted. He got kicked out of baseball about a year later for taking uh, performance-enhancing drugs. Steroids was the one he tested positive for. He said he was giving himself B12 shots, but lo and behold, it was steroids. He is making a comeback. He's 53. He is making a comeback. He says he will. Uh, he wants to go to spring training with a professional team. He feels like he can still hit. His son uh, is, I don't know, either in the minor leagues or independent league. And, he, and Raphael said, uh, I'm going to go in because uh, he's been hitting these young kids. He's like, he has these young double-A pitchers pitching to him, and he's crushing them. The guy hit 500, over 500 home runs. He could probably still hit. Yeah. He's like got 3,500 hits and 535 home runs, something ridiculous. So, yeah, I mean, he was always had such a pretty but, natural swing. But who's going to sign him? If you're like the San Diego Padres, really, nobody's <laughs> going to the game anyway, right? No one is going to your game. Name someone on the Padres. Like who? Who is it? Like Myers, maybe. Will, Will 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 Myers, Myers poor guy, stuck Padres. in stuck in San Diego. So you got a beautiful city, beautiful location. Why did you just bring in Rafael Palmero, man? You know he's going to put a few thousand seats. You know, put fans in the seats every night. Wouldn't you it's go to a, a game? Side show at that point. No. No one's going to the game anyway. I'd go to see Rafael Palmero, 53, to see if he can still hit. I'd go to Padres game. I wouldn't otherwise. Well, I probably would because so, I'm a baseball so fan. So if you're, if you're on the mound, Rafael Palmero comes up. You're just going to drill the guy, right? I wouldn't. I don't know. I think I'd want to say that I could – well, I'm, you know, I'm about Rafael's <laughs> age, so I'd want to say that I at least struck him out or something. You know, if I'm a young guy, I wouldn't want to say you struck out a guy who has 35,000 hits and, or 3,500 hits, and he also Look, has 535 I, home runs. It's all well and good. He's hitting double A guys, but you know and I know the leap from double A to uh, Clayton Kershaw is unbelievable. It's immense. Yeah. It's I mean I but I look. Rafi played I, when Nolan Ryan was still going. He played against Roger Clemens. He's seen yeah, the best. But he the was best. like in his thirties. I know. That's what like, I want to say. Can you do it when you're fifty three? And you know he's clean this time, right? He's got to yeah. be. He's not going to come back and no, juice he's again. Not clean. You really think he's, he's juicing now at fifty three? Absolutely. He figured out a way to beat it. He doesn't look like it. I saw. He didn't, you know, that's the other thing about Rafael Palmero. He never looked the part. He's always been a lean guy. He's never been like a, you know, a big steroided up guy like uh, Jose Canseco or Mark McGuire. Well, he, I don't know. His his story is like this. This is how it goes down with him. He says that he took a supplement not knowing that it was laced with anabolic steroids in it. Now everybody says, "Oh, that's a big joke." You know, he had to know. But did you know that at one point in time in the uh, late 80s, early 90s, if you bought a product from, you name the box store that was selling these, uh, you know, bodybuilding type supplements, most of them were laced with some type of anabolic steroid. Even though it's oral, it still goes through your liver and it gets broken down most of the time orally. But some of it gets still in your right? system. Yes. And they did it because they knew that it worked. All right. And you would you sell the product. So it could I, have happened. I'm, I'm not saying it did. I'm, I'm just saying it could have. I'm 100% switching my tune. Rafael Palmero did not do anything wrong. <laughs> uh, you've convinced me. Now, that here's the other story. Here's what goes against I'm Rafael Palmero. He says he gave himself an injection of B12, and uh, it was he's, and he said it was uh, white. Now, B12 is red. The injection is red. And so, you know, everybody's like, oh, man, it's two different oh, things. Oh, no. B12 is water-based and uh, steroids My B12, my B12 is, is, right, is white, too. I just gave myself a B12 It's kind of like uh, Barry Bonds. You know, oh. I didn't know what the white cream was. They were rubbing on me. I didn't know what was in it. Remember, that was his story. So, hey, hey, anyway. Look, 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 can I put a, 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 a thumbtack in this one, a button on this? Yeah. I, I, I think he absolutely took steroids. I think he lied on the stand. I don't think he could play baseball at 53 with these guys anymore, and I wouldn't pay to watch him. But I think he should be in the Hall of Fame. Boom. There you go. All right. There you go. That's Ferris' take. They're all taking it. I don't know how you say When we come back, we're going to have on the lovely Dr. Leslie Hutchins talking about some of the neurosurgical injuries we've seen in the sports uh, this last week. We'll be right back with more Docs and Jocks. 
I'm currently reading a book with my son called Mind Gym. It is a great little book with tons of great information on building mental toughness and helping an athlete reach his full potential. At the end of one of the chapters, there is a paragraph that states, Sports psychology is a science of success. Studies show that within a group of athletes of equal ability, those who receive mental training outperform those who don't almost every time. Mental skills, like physical skills, need constant practice. I couldn't agree with this statement more. So many athletes just don't understand the importance of mental strength. They don't realize that they can learn new skills and do things to ensure that they are strong mentally. I can't tell you the number of former athletes who have stated that they wish they would have had access to mental strength coaching while they were playing sports. At the EDGE Mental Strength Training, we are here to help athletes grow strong mentally and become the best they can be. For more information or to take a free mental strength assessment, you can contact us by clicking on our link at docsandjocks.com. This has been your Mental Strength Minute. You're listening to Docs and Jocks, brought to you in part by West Texas Neurosurgery, Abilene Tech, and Sports Clips. Touchdown. Now back to more Docs and Jocks with Dr. Dan and Ferris. Hey, welcome back to Docs and Jocks. This is Dr. Dan. Great to have you with us today. If you're just catching our show for the very first time, I'm a longtime sports medicine physician with Texas Sport and Spine. What we do here on the show is talk about basically what I do in my day job and talk about different knee, hip, shoulder, back injuries. Man, it's great to have you with us. If you ever want to find out more about our show, you can do that by going to docsandjocks.com, D-O-X-N-J-O-X.com, or you can listen to us on our iTunes podcast, Docs and Jocks, D-O-X-N-J-O-X. Subscribe there and get your show anytime, anywhere, and listen to it at your convenience. My co-host each week is Ferris Potter, the voice of Grand Canyon University out in sunny Phoenix, Arizona. And Ferris, we are always honored to have on some great guests. Man, we've already had Dan Minucci on earlier. If you missed that interview, once again, you go back to our website and listen to that. But we are having on now Dr. Leslie Hutchins. She is a neurosurgeon, which means, Ferris, that, and I'm just going to interpret that. That means she's just a lot smarter than me. So she went through, we'll talk about how your training as a neurosurgeon and how long that takes. But she is actually from Abilene, Texas, one of the few physicians that come back to their hometown after they finish, and she's now working with Drs. Edelman, Trammell, and Brown at the Neurosurgical Associates of West Texas. Dr. Hutchins, thanks for being on the show. Thanks for having me on. I thought it would be a good week because, you know, there's been a lot of injuries in the news, and, and some of them apply to, uh, you know, sometimes it's the brain. We've heard a lot about traumatic brain injury. We, You know, in the football world, they call that concussions. And then also spinal cord injuries, which are, as a sports medicine physician, being on the sidelines like I've done for the last 20 years, our scariest injuries are always when the guy goes down and they don't move. If they're not moving, it always makes us a little nervous, whether it's a cardiovascular event or whether it's a spinal cord injury. But this week we saw with the Pittsburgh Steelers, Ryan Shazier, the linebacker for the Steelers, had a kind of a head-first tackle, and uh, he immediately goes down, and he's kind of reaching for his back, his lower neck area. It was reported he had a fracture dislocation. He couldn't move his legs very well. So they said they did a surgery to stabilize the spine. So we're not, I know you don't know Ryan Shazier's injury exactly, but kind of walk us through when you see someone in the emergency room, they're coming in from a football game, maybe they can't move their legs, and they eventually need a stabilization procedure. Kind of walk us through that process. Um, well, first of all, when uh, I, I'm asked to evaluate a patient in the ER, most of the time they already have a CT scan of the cervical spine. Right. So you're first assessing whether there's a fracture or not. Um, I've seen it just, I've seen actually when I was in San Angelo practicing from a football injury, just sure. a facet fracture. What is a facet? It's a joint in the cervical spine. Um, the patient had no injury, but at that point, 
Um, if they're stable, then I recommend a cervical MRI just to see how the disc is and uh -huh. see if there's any narrowing. And the difference between a CT scan or an MRI for a listening audience, a CT scan is like a fancy three-dimensional x-ray, so it's really good to look at a bone. And those yes. MRIs look at those soft tissues like your spinal cord, like the disc, the things that surround the spinal cord. So it's giving you a better picture of that spinal cord because that's what you and I as yes. physicians are worried about, that spinal cord mm -hmm. being injured. So after you've evaluated them with the MRI. And, and so you – or when I evaluate them in the emergency room, I first evaluate what level is the injury. So what are the muscles, uh, what muscles can they move, what can they not move. And especially with spinal cord injuries, it can be very frightening. Um, and I'll ask the patient to move um, their arms or their legs, and sometimes they're not moving. And um, at that point, you just reassure them that you're there, you'll, you're going to take care of them, not to panic, because I've right. had patients like that um, before they start getting very anxious about sure. the situation. Absolutely. And the reason you're testing those muscles and trying to figure out which ones they can move, because it kind of tells you the which muscles they can move gives you a level then of that spinal cord mm -hmm. injury. You made a really good observation on Ryan Shazier. Like you were like, yes. he didn't look like after he went down that he could use his triceps very well. So what yes. would that tell you as a physician if you can't use your triceps real well? Which is the muscle in the back of your arm, by the way, that straightens your elbow. How, what would that kind of relate to you as a physician? So after watching the, the video, he sort of, he went, uh, uh, he tackled like he's not supposed to. He right, hit with his head. Head in. And so sort of from that standpoint, you worry about really the area that um, we see a lot of injuries when that happens or even from car wrecks, usually C6, C7. I noticed that right after the tackle, he wasn't able to use his legs and he turned himself over. But if you notice, he, he opens his arms. Uh, hands up like there's yeah. like like he feels like something's not going right with his hands which would be a lower cervical usually we see c67 c7 t1 and i notice when he turns himself over his left arm gets caught beneath him oh, and he yeah. tries to bring that out and with the muscle that he tries to bring that out that's more the tricep he's not able to do so so he brings it in and sort of supinates and uses bicep and he's able to bring that basically that tells me that his injury is not at a higher level, like we saw, um, is it is it Kevin Everett with the Buffalo Bill? No, or who was? Um, yes, yes. Um, uh, his his was three four, and he had a fracture dislocation at three four. It's not a higher level like three four four five, or even five breathing. six. You have problems with breathing that are life threatening. Then, but I worry about either a problem at that uh, the C six um, C six C seven level with not being able to use the triceps. Um, is the the level that I was worried about his injury, or sometimes the C7, T1. Right. And they're all scary, by the way, but the higher you go up, the less ability you have to use, you know, your arms. And then mm -hmm. as you get in that 3, 4, 5 level, the harder time you have using your diaphragm, which right. allows you to breathe. Mm -hmm. So it just gets exponentially worse the higher you go up. So, Ferris, you have a question? Okay, I'm the non-medical person on the show. Yes. Uh, <laughs> Sorry. Doctor, doctor. I feel, like, I feel like spies like us. Doctor, doctor, <laughs> doctor, doctor. Doctor, yeah. Um, so, yeah, you kind of did it, Dr. Dan, a little bit, but just in 30 seconds, explain neurosurgery to us all. Um, higher, bad, lower, better, numbers go up, they go down. So the higher in the cervical injury you worry about, um, you know, the, the muscles that allow you to breathe, those being affected acutely, so not being able to breathe right after the injury. Yeah. The higher the level, um, you, the higher numbers are deltoid biceps, so not being able to use the upper arms. The lower level cervical injuries, you worry about not being able to lose your lower arms, like your hands. Yes. And if you saw, he reached up trying to remove his helmet, but he couldn't remove his helmet. Like, he didn't have the fine motor. You can mm -hmm. see he tried, but then he stopped. Yeah. So he, I think he lost, he didn't have good control of his hand. So that sort of clued me in. It was a, a lower cervical injury. 
any cervical injury you worry about um, having blood pressure issues mm -hmm. post like in the, the first seven um, days after injury and being uh, and, and having low uh, low uh, blood pressure because you're not able to regulate your blood pressure like we are able to regulate right right your spinal cord does a lot of things to our listening audience. So, you know, mm -hmm. you, if you think, well, it just helps us move muscles, but it does a lot more than that. There's mm -hmm. many, many things that you have to have a working, working central nervous system. Your central nervous system is your brain and your spinal cord. Those things are telling your body, basically keeping all the functions of your body moving and working correctly, even your blood pressure, right. which people forget about. So the way we remember things, Ferris, in medical school, a lot of times I make up little acronyms or little, little rhymes or rhythms. And I always remember C345, keep your diaphragm alive. We use mm -hmm. little things like that so I can... Remember that. And so in, a, in an emergency situation, like when I see a player go down on the field and you have a great athletic training with you, of course, but those are the times when those kind of things, you start ruling out those worst things possible because you don't want to have a spinal cord injury patient that you – and we can talk about mm -hmm. this. The staff was immediately out there, the uh, sports medicine staff, because he was trying to move initially. Right. But talk to us uh, – because you do this in the emergency room too. We're talking to Dr. Leslie Hutchins here of neurosurgery. But you want to – Basically, before you know what's wrong, you want to immobilize them so you don't cause other problems. So talk about immobilizing a patient. Um, so, and, and oddly enough, the, the NF, uh, is it Joseph, Dr. Joseph Marone, who's the NFL Steeler um, doctor, team neuros position, team yeah. neurosurgeon, was the one who sort of walked us through, walked me through this at a double ANS uh, Association of Neurological Surgeons uh -huh. um, meeting in April of 2006 in Chicago, oddly enough. I, wow. I went to his... So basically, he said, um, you want to keep the, you honestly don't want to remove the helmet mm -hmm. until you, you have, air, like, the airway and everything. So you want to flip the patient over. He, he had already done that himself, but get, like, basically have three or four people keep on, um, keeping C-spine precautions and moving them over. The one thing is, if someone is non-responsive, you have to assume they have a spinal cord injury as well. Uh -huh. So it, he right. was with it, but if, if a patient uh, or a player is not, you know... Because you're assuming the worst-case scenario yes. possible until you know otherwise. So if he, Because if the problem is, if you move them and they have a fractured dislocation, like mm -hmm. we see in Ryan Brazier... Mm -hmm. Then you, next thing you know, you've made that spinal cord injury yes. worse because of those because you no longer have stability of that spinal cord when you do it. So, it's, so he said, keep the head still. And and then he said, remove the helmet. But you know, remove the helmet. But that was sort of the last thing. You make sure they're having they're they're keeping their airway. But the, but remove it, keeping C spine precautions and using maybe two or three people to remove it. Right, Ferris. I wanted to ask you, Doc, did you always want to be in neurosurgery? Did you just want to be a doctor and then it like clicked in medical school? How, uh, what was your path to this position you currently have? I went to Cooper High School and I actually wanted to be a photojournalist. I was the photo editor at the wow. yearbook and newspaper. <laughs> very similar. Yeah. Photojournalist. So how do you get from there very to being a neurosurgeon in your hometown now uh, 15 years <laughs> no. later? And then, um, so we had a, uh, I had a, D.R. Jonas was an anatomy teacher, senior year of high school, and said, hey, Leslie, um, I think you really should go into medicine. So I went to ACU, was pre-med, was thinking about pediatrics, and uh, went to actually got accepted at Southwestern. We went to th the same yeah. medical school. Uh -huh. and great, great minds think alike, Ferris. By the way, um, and Absolutely. I was I was not accepted there. They rejected <laughs> my. And uh, I actually had a friend, uh, Joey, who was ER. He he's interested in ER medicine. And he actually is an emergency room doctor. And he said, "There's some shadowing in the ER, and I need to fill it up." It was the ER interest group, and Leslie, I want to sign you up because he needed to fill it up with warm bodies, and I was his friend. 
So I was like, okay. And so I actually saw a subdural hematoma in the ER as a second oh, year wow. med student. Yeah. And then I said, it's like falling in love with the motorcycle guy you shouldn't have fallen in love with. Because <laughs> <laughs> you know? neurosurgery, say, by the way, if you're talking about uh, medical school and residency in particular, we're, the, no residency is easy, but neurosurgery is by no. far one of the most difficult. Because most of the things you're dealing with, there are some planned surgeries, but a lot of them you're yeah. dealing with are acute. They got to yeah. be taken care of right then. You're talking about the brain, the spinal cord, fractures, bleeding. You're dealing with them on an emergency basis and not all your patients make yeah. it. And it's a, it's a tough lifestyle. I, I always tell this story, Leslie, I was standing in an elevator. I did inpatient rehab. I'm a physiatrist. Mm -hmm. And so we work closely together because a lot of your patients yes. go end up going mm -hmm. to inpatient rehab, especially UT Southwestern and a physical medicine rehabilitation doctor. I then take over the care to try and restore some of their disabilities. So I'm riding the elevator up early in the morning. I'm going to work. These two neurosurgical uh, residents are in the elevator with me, and they're standing in front. They've been there all night. You can tell. You know, they got the head, you know, the racket. They're, they have, probably haven't been to sleep. Their hair's all crazy, and they're wearing their lab coats, and they look like they've been up forever. And it's about six o'clock in the morning, and one of them turns to the other one, and says, "Hey, uh, you want you want to eat you want some pizza?" And he goes, the other one goes, "No, nah, I don't think so, man. I don't know. I got to I got to I got to get some coffee." So the guy pulls this pizza. Out of his lab coat, out of his lab coat, it's in his lab coat. It's a slice of like, it looks like it's been in there for like a day or two. Pulls it out and he starts eating it. And the guy that, who said no, that he didn't want it goes, yeah, give me half that. And they tore it in half and he <laughs> ate the half pizza. I thought, man, that's what they brought us to. But it's long hours, yeah. up like all night, lamp. dealing with life-threatening situations. I mean, really, honestly, yeah. it is one of the toughest residencies by far. So, no. Dr. Hutchins, congratulations oh. because you went through that. And that's a tough, tough road to hoe for sure. No, I, I, you enjoy what you do. It's just, it's emotionally, physically, and mentally exhausting neurosurgery. Yeah. Um, and it, it, you know, when I went, I had a great program. Uh, VCU is one of the best programs. I had great faculty to learn. And the residents, they're like brothers and sisters. But, you know, me going, our, It's bonding. It's like going through war together is yeah. what I say, yeah. There's two of us that go, uh, two accepted in my program. And we had a, a seven-year program, so about 14, but... Only, you know, from when I started to when I finished, there was seven that didn't make it during that time. Wow. That's how, like, it, there's a lot of attrition with yeah, neurosurgery. definitely. And it's just, it's, it's, it's one of those three factors, either it's too physical, too emotional, you know. It's kind of like Ben Roethlisberger said with football, and when he was asking his son to play football, he said it's a tough game. It's not for everyone. Neurosurgery is a, tough, a yeah. tough field. It's not for everyone. So, yeah, it shows how tough you are to get through that. So, yeah, so... So Ryan Shazier, they say now he had the surgery and he stabilized his, they stabilized the neck and the dislocation. And so he's supposedly reportedly moving his extremities, he's moving his legs now. Tell us what that means from a neurosurgical standpoint. If you walk in the next day after surgery when a patient was, uh, you know, part, it was short-term paralyzed and now he's able to use his legs. Tell us what that, how that makes you feel the next day. It, it makes you feel a lot, uh, a lot better. I had a... Uh... There's one, when I was faculty in Virginia, I had one weekend, I had three spinal cord injuries back to back to back. And there was one gentleman, he came in and his, he was not moving his legs. And this is what, this is when one gentleman, I was like, we don't have time to get the MRI. I'm going to take you back because he had lost use of his legs and his arms. Um, he had an accident, like a boat trailer had rolled over his neck. Oh, wow. Um, and it's kind of like, kind of like getting hit by a middle linebacker in the NFL. Very similar. Yeah. And I said, just, you know, trust me on this one. And, uh. I said, I think we can get some movement back. And I thought he was going to have to go to rehab. Well, I took him back, operated on him, and he walked out of the hospital three oh, days later. Oh, my goodness. But, I mean. Woo, that's that, a lucky one. Yeah, that's, yeah. you know, but, you know, I had two two of the other ones um, went to rehab that weekend. And those are the patients you yeah, see. Yeah, right. So, I mean, it's, grati it's mm. gratifying that sometimes you, 
but it's also the degree, how much are they getting back? Yeah, because you, know? you really don't know. You try, you try and give some prediction. That's why I say early Ferris, you would ask me, like, how's Ryan Shazier going to do? And, you know, there's some signs and things you look at early on. Are they regaining some of their function pretty quickly, you know, because – if you get it in that early stage, you, your your hopes are they're going to re- continue to regain some back, but you don't really know. I'm, my opinion is, and this is uh, you you can say what your opinion is, but he's probably done with football once he's had a fusion and a, and a fracture uh, dislocation, yeah. and then had a fusion, his neck stabilization procedure with a transient, you know, at yes. least paraplegia. I I agree. I think you know I'm praying for him and his family. I think it's not football; it's life and quality yeah. now. Right. And I th- and it's he he probably had the same. Just for the public, he probably had the same surgery that Peyton Manning oh, yeah. had. The fusion. Mm-hmm. But there's a difference. This is a surgery from trauma and a spinal cord injury. It's yeah. not an uh, it's not a herniated disc. Right, right. So it's not the surgery itself, but the injury itself. Yeah, exactly. Well, we want to wish you the best of luck in your career here in Abilene, Texas. You're with Neurosurgical Associates of West Texas with a great group over there. Dr. Trammell, Dr. Brown, Dr. Edelman joining a great group. So back in your hometown, not many physicians get to do that. So we're glad you're here. Do do the people you know from your past, do they treat you like the high school student at Cooper, or do they treat you like a neurosurgeon now? I hope they treat me like the high school student at Cooper. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> That's awesome. All right. Hey, we're talking to Dr. Leslie Hutchins here on Docs and Jocks. Appreciate the interview. We'll be right back with more of your sports medicine radio show after this short commercial break. to Docs and Jocks, brought to you in part by Buffalo Wild Wings, First Financial Bank, and MDI Abilene. Touchdown. Now back to more Docs and Jocks with Dr. Dan and Ferris. Hey, welcome back to Docs and Jocks. This is Dr. Dan, your longtime sports medicine physician, coming to you from inside the Forge Abilene's uh, sports training facility. If you want to find out more about The Forge, you can do so by going to theforgeabilene.com and find out how to get your free trial there and work out uh, with the legendary coach, Coach David Hess, who, by the way, Ferris, this week, Coach David Hess, who is our head strength and conditioning coach here from where we're broadcast, our Docs and Jock show is uh, outside The Forge Abilene. He, we raised, uh, we were able to get 100 toys for Toys for Tots from the members. If we did that, Coach Hess had to do what's called a Jello run, and if you want to go to uh, the Forge Abilene's uh, Instagram, you can watch Coach Hess there do the Jello run. It is put, Coach Hess is, by the way, sixty-one years old. He, he's legendary. He benched five hundred pounds when he's fifty years old. He's coached every NFL player that's ever come through West Texas area here, our West Texas area, the big country. And he pushed a box uh, sixty down and back, which is sixty yards down and back for a total of one hundred twenty yards. Then he had to carry 80-pound kettlebells down and back. And the reason they call it a jello run is because when you finish pushing the box 120 yards, your legs turn to jello and you typically fall. He did not fall. He wore his cut-off sleeves, incredible Hulk shirt, and he did the jello run. You gotta go watch it on the Instagram. Go to the Forge Abilene's Instagram, and that's great to watch Coach Hess do that. We should have been here. Hashtag man. legend. Right there. Hashtag legend. That's exactly right. You know, most people, it's always like, oh, if, if you guys do this or raise this money, I'll shave my head. But Hess can't do that. <laughs> no. that that's just not an option. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and he's a hulk of a man. Man, 61, I was like, please don't let Coach Hess die. Please don't let Coach Hess die. <laughs> I, don't think, yeah, I don't think he's ever going to die. <laughs> he was like, he, he, he was hammering pre-workout. I'm like, Coach Hess, man, you don't need your heart rate going up faster. Let's slow down on this. Hey, I want to give a big shout-out to South Carolina State's player, uh, Ty Solomon. He is their point guard. No previous heart ailments, Ferris. Get this. He collapsed while sitting on the bench getting ready to play for South Carolina State. His athletic trainer, Tyler Long, who is a hero in my book, 
He uh, saved his life by performing CPR immediately on Ty Solomon, whose heart began beating again, and he was able to come back around. His family wants this story to be remind everyone, and I want to tell it on Docs and Jocks and, and help his family's dream, that everyone needs to be CPR certified. So CPR is just knowing the basis of what to do when someone goes down in a crisis situation, whether they're stopped breathing, whether their heart stops, they don't have a heartbeat, you know, they just go down and they're out. And what do you do to resuscitate them during that time frame between when they go down and when the medical experts get there, usually the paramedics in an ambulance to take them to a hospital. But everyone should be CPR certified. It's 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 uh, basically pretty easy to do. You can get a CPR certification and you can get it in a few hours. You take a short test and it's very, very simple to do. You can... Uh, you know, there's always, always someone with your local uh, hospitals, with your fire departments, with your there's there's individual private organizations that do simple CPR certification. I always say if you know, and, and this I still go back to my days. Fair's my very first day of internship. I'm just finished medical school. I'm nervous as all get out. I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm in. I'm gonna have to do an internship where I'm taking care of sick people. They're calling me doctor, Doctor Munton. Who is that? So anyway, so I'm nervous. He can be the very first guy. He's a, he's an older internal medicine doctor gets up in front of us and says, I know y'all are nervous. I've been in your shoes. I know what it feels like today. He goes, how many of you have been, and we call it ACLS, advanced cardiac life support, ACLS certified. We all raised our hands. You had to be as a doctor, be ACLS certified. He goes, so what you're telling me is you know what to do in the worst possible situation. Patient's not breathing. Patient's heartbeat isn't working. The patient is dying. You know what to do in that situation. If you know what to do in that situation, everything else is you're going to figure it out. So I remember thinking, wow, that kind of made me feel better. So that's the same thing. If you know CPR, if you're CPR certified, then you feel like you can at least do the best thing for a person that you see. And maybe you're just a bystander. I've done it in the middle of IHOP restaurant before. So wherever you are, you know what to do in that situation. So I'd recommend that everybody get CPR certified. And hey, what a big shout out to Tyler Long, the athletic trainer who these guys train long, long hours and they're working hard to take care of these athletes. He knew what to do at the right time and saved his player's life. Ty Solomon. He's a, he's a hero in my book. Way to go, Tyler Long. Yeah, I think he's uh, can stay at SC State as long as he wants. He would be the uh, first ever athletic trainer that's uh, never going to get fired in his life, and uh, probably have a ton of the job opportunities because yeah, that's that's pretty amazing. I mean, all those athletic trainers work crazy hours and work uh, work yeah. nuts jobs, but hopefully, usually they don't have to get into those types of situations. And man, to be able to perform under that pressure is just that's phenomenal. Hey, Hawk, you were at Texas Tech uh, where you're an athletic trainer, and then you were at the Dallas Cowboys as an athletic trainer. With the Red Raiders and the Cowboys, did you ever have a life-threatening situation you had to take care of somebody and uh, either have to stabilize them on the field with a cart them off with a spinal cord injury or a cardiac event? Oh, we had a, this is so true. I should have brought this up. Yes, he did. It was a fan at a basketball game. That happens to me about once or twice a year. I'll be at a sporting event taking care of the team, but someone taps you on the shoulder and says, hey, We've got this guy. He just collapsed back here, and you got it. And so you go and you do the CPR ACLS on that gentleman. Yeah, that great happens point, you Hawk. once or twice a year. Yeah, I had a football game. Someone, well, it's not always life threatening, but someone will come really? tap me on the shoulder. Oh, It'll be goodness. a police officer. Somebody said, uh, "Hey, this guy fell back here and he hit his head. Will you come take a look at him?" Or you know, it's an elderly patient who passed out from heat stroke. Yeah. You know, think how often that happens in the stands, and you're they know that you're the team doctor, so. They're like, hey, is there any doctors in the stands? And they're like, yeah, there's one right down there on the Hawk field. Hawk had to save a dude's life at a Texas Tech basketball game? Yeah, a fan, a basketball fan at wow. the game. Yeah. Way to go, Hawk. Makes Hawk's a hero, man. Got to stop uh, well, tra- treating him so poorly yeah. first. 
when you asked that question, I knew he didn't have to do anything at a Dallas game because you would always get Jerry Jones. <laughs> like Jerry Jones is the guy who's the emergency responder at a Dallas. Yes, game, Jerry right? Jones is you at just, Dallas Cowboy. You game tap straight. Jerry, Doctor Jerry. He takes care of that. <laughs> Doctor Jerry Jones. Yeah, to. he always tells us the outcome. Hey, Ferris, uh, were you you are the voice of Grand Canyon University out in sunny Phoenix, Arizona? Tell us how they did this week with uh, basketball. Is uh, Dan Marley going to get them in the uh, March Madness? Uh-oh, I got a bad uh, look there. They didn't do so well against St. John's at a talking stick arena. Dude, you talk about, we're talking to Dr. Leslie Hudgens, you talk about being, you know, not not the, not the young guy anymore when you see these young physicians know, come in. Holy I cow. I know, man. We, our game started at 9.30 because we were the late game. And so I didn't get out of there until like 12.45 the next morning, and I was feeling it. And, you know, of course the players weren't. But, no, it didn't go so well. It was kind of cool to see Chris Mullen and uh, Mitch Richmond on the bench for St. John's. But they beat us by 8. Uh, got a bounce back game on Saturday night against Grambling State, and then another one on Monday. Then head on the road. So five and two. You know, there's a lot of growth still needed on the team. Coach Marley's working on some things, but yeah, I mean, look, if if we can win the WAC regular season, we're guaranteed at least the NIT, which would be the first NCAA tournament for for the program. And then if you win the tournament, and it's probably going to come down to Grand Canyon, New Mexico State, Utah Valley, Bakersfield. You know, those Seattle. Those are the top teams in the league, and they're all pretty evenly matched, so it's going to be a very competitive league and a very competitive year for the Lopes. But, you know, they were picked as a favorite, and I think that's kind of the, the goal. I mean, it's it's kind of that or bust in some ways. So, um, I you know, there's some there's some work they need to do. It was A little bit was exposed against St. John, so they're, they're working on it. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> hey, speaking of uh, making people work, story just broke at a Florence Middle, High, Middle School in Austin, Texas. So in Little Austin, Texas, a middle school, substitute teachers come to the school and they get treated poorly. The substitute teacher said the students were acting up. They got on to them. The next day, this is, this, this is the reported story, the students acted up again. So the substitute teacher took them out to the track outside of the school, a classroom where he proceeded to make them bear crawl 100 yards on their track, on their track and field track. The police are now involved as the students developed bruises, blisters, and abrasions on their hands and knees as they made them bear crawl 100 yards. And this was a student quote. He, she said, I didn't go back to PE the next day because I was too scared of what might happen. And the student said, they treated us like soldiers. So, Ferris, my question for you <laughs> Does that seem overly over-the-top abusive if you're making students bear crawl to the point of 100 yards and their blisters and abrasions on their hands and knees for acting up two days in a row? Now, to me, I would say, uh, me personally, I would say not a smart move by the teacher because it's not going to end well for you no, either no. way. The substitute now, if teacher. You ask, if you ask Brent Musburger, he just tweeted, hey, <laughs> snowflakes. Yo, yo, snowflakes. Yeah. Yo, snowflakes. <laughs> if I wasn't shooting a machine gun over your head, don't compare yourself to a soldier. Exactly. Get over yeah. it. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Anyway, I don't know. I think the pendulum has swung. Move. Remember we interviewed the guy that uh, Coach Bear Bryant Oh, we interviewed uh, Gene Stallings. Remember, Gene Stallings, Stallings was, was was one of the kids that went down with Bear Bryant his first year at Texas A&M, and he made him go without water. And, uh, oh, yeah, what, what was that called? What were those guys called? The Junction the Boys, Junction right? Junction Boys, right? Yeah. Yep. yep. 
I think you don't need water. I don't I'm think making you a man. I don't think Gene Stallings would have been uh, taken too kind to the students, saying they treated us like soldiers. He's oh my goodness, interesting story. That's your take. You can go whatever you want. The track though, I'd got, I mean, if I was a parent, I'd kind of be thinking about that too. Police yeah, are not involved. Man. I don't know. Coach Hess makes me bear crawl here on the arc field all the time. He, he doesn't, you deserve it. Yeah, you deserve it. He doesn't care. He doesn't care when I whine for whatever reason, weird reason. So, hey, uh, some other big stories in the news right now. The big hit in the news is Vontez Burfick. If you saw it, he was the Bengals middle linebacker who was known himself as being a guy that plays the game fast and violent and doesn't care pretty much. I would Do I have that? Did I surmise that correctly, Ferris? Would you, after seeing Vontez Burfick yes. and some of the hits he's had? Yeah, the one he had yeah, on Antonio Brown. Yeah, we got to see him Brown. play out here at ASU as well. So. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, that's right. That's right. Well, anyway, yeah. he gets laid out on kind of a crackback block by Juju Schuster. By the way, the youngest player in the NFL who's with the Pittsburgh Steelers, he's a wide receiver. Perfect, who was playing middle linebacker, was kind of running to his left after the pass was caught to a wide receiver. Juju Berf, uh, Juju Schuster then came back. I'd say Perfect was about one step away from making a tackle, and he just lays him out. And he is dazed, to say the least. And the other thing is Juju Schuster got fined for standing and suspended for standing over the player after kind of a taunting after he did it. Yeah. And so then after the interview was – after the uh, injury happened, he gets carted off. He's got a concussion, and he gets carted off into – they're heading in the tunnel back towards the locker room. Vontez Perfect, who is a large, mean man, by the way, large man, violent man, good. he's a great middle linebacker in the NFL – he comes to it enough that he gets off of the stretcher on his own against medical advice and is reported they had to restrain him with numerous people from not coming back on the field and going after Juju Schuster. He wanted to come back and get revenge right then. After the game is over, they're interviewing the Pittsburgh Steelers about the violence of the game and the Vontez perfect hit. When they're interviewing him, in the background is Antonio Brown, who is chanting, karma karma because Antonio Brown the last time they got played got knocked out cold by Vontez Perfect after he went a head-to-head contact and knocked Antonio Brown out on a play over the middle that was high and uh, Brown had to go go for the ball so first of all did you see the hit Ferris did you think it was an illegal hit yes I saw it no it wasn't illegal I don't think it was an illegal hit I thought it was a good hit he actually hit him with his shoulder and yeah. knocked him out. He's a violent hit, and you can't say that, but yeah. it, it seemed like a good football play. Now, I can see where they can suspend him and find him. He was kind of standing over him. looked like he was taunting him. Yeah. But does it surprise you that Vontez Perfect wanted to get off the stretcher, got off the stretcher, and tried to go back out on the field and uh, revenge Juju Schuster? And, and if you were Juju Schuster, would you be nervous right now? Uh, no, it doesn't surprise me, and yes, I'd be very <laughs> Yes, I would be. Oh, my gosh. I remember I told uh, Frank Beltre, who uh, worked out with us here at the uh, the Four Javelin, he was one of our workout guys, and I would work out with him. I said, hey, Frank, if I were to get, like, uh, a set of pads, a full helmet and pads, I've always wanted to feel like what it felt like to be hit by a middle linebacker in the NFL. Would you be willing to tackle me like a full-on tackle? And Clyde Gates, who was a uh, wide receiver for the New York Jets, says, Dr. Dan, that's not a good idea. The last time – I got hit directly by a middle linebacker. I don't remember the rest of that day. So, anyway, I chose not to do it. Frank said he was too much of my friend to do it. But, yeah, getting hit by a middle linebacker who was out gunning for you, especially a guy as big as Montez Burfitt, <laughs> not probably idea. not a good idea. And then what did you think about comments by Antonio Brown after karma? I mean, is it karma that now Vontez Burfitt gets knocked out too? I mean, I think it's just the game. I, they're, they're all knuckleheads. I mean, you know, it, it's interesting to me. They got, they, got a, they got a teammate, you know, my – 
ever walk again at that stage, and they're all dancing around after the game, talking about karma and being happy about a hit and stuff. It's yeah. just like these guys just have such short. I don't want to say attention spans. They just they live in a different world, they man. Do. Now, that's yeah. why when we try to when we try to impose our thoughts and logic on a lot of these guys, they're just at the stage in their life where they're just it's all they've ever done. It's all they've ever wanted to do. It's all they want to think about and do. And they're just yeah. in a different plane, man. <laughs> Here, you know, let's talk about people who talk differently, think differently than the rest of us. Right now, the uh, Dallas Mavericks sit in last place. Uh, Nerlens Noel, their center, who uh, they traded for last year, he's now found out that he has to be out with a thumb surgery. Before he decided to have his thumb surgery for his gamekeeper's thumb, and we've talked about it here in Docs and Jocks, he was trying to figure out if he could play or not. So he was on the team, but he wasn't really playing. So at halftime, he said they, they asked him about, you know, are you going to be able to play or not? And one of the comments he made, he goes, well, I've, since I haven't been playing, I found out that the uh, stadium hot dogs are really good to eat at halftime. Hmm. That's kind of different, huh? It's what what good, the heck? Good, yeah. <laughs> what the, is there a reason Dallas Mavericks are in last place? Maybe so. Smart. 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 Yeah. yeah. Well, anyway. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. They, they, they live in a different world, <laughs> It's man. a different world. Pro athletes yeah. who've been, you know, the top of their game and been given everything. It's a different world, man. Yeah. The stadium hot dogs are really good. That avoid Nerland. Hey, with that, we'll say, uh, we have to say so long, man. It seems like our show went way, way too fast this week. If you missed any of our show and want to catch it up and maybe miss some of the interviews that we had, you can go back and listen to them at docsandjocks.com or go and listen to our iTunes podcast, Docs and Jocks, D-O-X-N-J-O-X, and you can listen to your show anytime, anywhere. The interview we had with uh, former quarterback Dan Minucci as well as neurosurgeon Leslie Hutchins. From myself, Dr. Dan, and Ferris Potter, my co-host each week, from all of us here on Docs and Jocks, have a great week. We'll see you next week on our sports medicine radio show, Docs and Jocks.